when I uh, hear that song, it takes me back. Do you associate songs with memories? I think we all do. It takes me back to a really beautiful, sweet place. Up north at a camp where I was speaking, and you spend the week with kids, and you preach your heart out to them, and you get to know them. You sit on the dock. You dangle your toes in the water. You, you listen to their stories. It breaks your heart. And you watch them play. You watch them have a good time. You watch them spark, and you watch them as their worship grows. Some of them through the week where they, they just start singing, and they'll come into the chapel. They'll come into the chapel and they're playing the piano in the chapel and they're playing the songs on the piano that the kids have been singing and nobody asked the kids to sing but the kids just start singing. And you just sit there in the night and you listen to those kids singing and you think, God, 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 help these kids get it, understand, embrace, internalize the stuff they're singing. And you know that sometimes they really, really do. And that song, that, that's one of those songs. You preach your heart out, and then, and then they play a piano, and then the kids file out, the campers, they file out up the steps, out the door. And I go ahead of them, I stand out in the night, and I watch them go, little cabin by cabin, as the teenagers say. They go back to their cabin, they walk back, the stars are out. It's cool and beautiful up north in Michigan. And then they go and they talk about what you preached about and what they sang about. And you just think, you know what? Some of those kids probably really worshipped Jesus Christ tonight. Really worshipped Him. In their heart and their affections and their mind. It's something beautiful about seeing people do what they were made to do. To worship God. To sing to think on the deep things of God. Isn't there just something beautiful about that? There's something wonderful about that. When God's people lose their desire to really worship God, show Him worth and reverence and honor, it's a very sad, dark thing. And the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament is a book that talks about when God's people, even from the leadership on down, lost their heart for worship, lost their heart for honoring God and reverence for God. It's very sad. Tonight's really a significant night for me. I don't know if you know this about me, but I probably could easily have been diagnosed, if they had it back then, ADD. I don't think that really sounds that bad. Sorry, I need more attention than the average person. Mom, you're going to have to pay more attention to me. That probably is bad. Attention deficit, they call it. When I was a kid, they called it hyperactive. So if you're full of energy and life, you're diagnosed with an illness. You're hyperactive. And they want to give you drugs. (laughs) I shouldn't tell you this. My wife hates it when I say this. Doesn't that make you want to listen to my story when I say that? My wife hates it, but, she's, but when I was a kid, every once in a while we have an argument. Lois and I will have an argument. She'll bring this up. It's kind of cute. Um, but when I was a kid, they, they did briefly consider the drugs. And I remember this because it gave me drugs. It just, I don't know, it was Redlin or whatever. And I'm not taking it anymore. I just want you to know. But, but they, gave me, they gave me some drug. And, and, I, and I remember my mom and dad were really conflicted about this. I can remember listening to the conversation. You know, my mom's down there. My mom was up to school, you know, you got Jesus. You don't need any of that. My dad's like, well, you know. There are circumstances when a person might, you know, well, that's not what the message is about tonight. But I listened to this conversation. You know, that won't warp your psyche, right? I mean, seriously, your parents talking about whether you should be on psychotropic medications or not. This is your pastor you're, you're talking about. And finally, I remember my mom going, they're just not going to do this. And my dad, well, all right, Jane. So I only took one dose. And I did visit a guy that reminded me of, like, I think he was trying to be like Sigmund Freud. He had a pipe and ink blots and everything. So to, to finish a task, to, have, to be hyperactive and not be able to sit still and to have attention deficit disorder to where your parents thought about giving you drugs and I think maybe even electroshock therapy treatments, I'm not sure. If you're that kind of a guy and you preach through the entire Old Testament, that is a big stinking deal right there. 
I will finish preaching through the entire Old Testament tonight. You may not be excited about that, but I'm going to go to sleep a very happy camper tonight. Because we were on the journey together through the entire Old Testament. We should have had badges for this. If you were here for the entire Old Testament, you get to wear a special pin on your lapel or something like that. I'm pretty pumped about it. That's pretty exciting. To me, to finish something like that, to stay with it, and it's a big accomplishment. I'm excited about it. Of course, it was a journey we took together. And you know, that's always cool when you, when you share kind of a foxhole experience with people or you go on an adventure, a journey together, and you, and you finish that, then you're always going to remember it. You're always going to have a memory. You're always going to talk about it. And what journey is the journey through the Bible, the Word of God, the Old Testament of Scripture? And Lord willing and God allowing us, we will preach through the New Testament, should He allow us to do that. And I hope that you're here for all of those This is, go to Matthew, back one book, the last book of the Old Testament, the oracle of the prophet Malachi. And it's an oracle from God. It's through Malachi to warn God's people about their irreverence in worship. Malachi is a contemporary of Nehemiah and Ezra. It's a post-exilic prophecy. So the people of Judah have come back from Babylonian captivity and they've been out for about a hundred years and their worship has gone down the tubes. From the leadership on down, it's really bad when this happens. And so uh, the literary structure, it's common in rabbinic teaching of the time. Um, It's an interesting poetic kind of literary structure and it's really simple to understand. It's a series of, it's like a dialogue between people and God. A series of questions that God puts in the mouths of the people. And he says, you know, he will say over and over again, six or seven times, depending on how you interpret it, you say this, and I say this, and you say that. And that's the the way the argument goes, and the way the structure, or the literary structure uh, of the book goes. I do not have the advancer thing tonight. Am I overlooking it, or do we need to send somebody hustling up there? Um... Wes, why don't you scamper up there and get me the clicker there, okay? Thanks a lot, buddy. Or Chuck, either one. Yeah. So <laughs> there are four things that are emphasized, uh, and here, and three of them are emphasized by repetition. Now get this, because this is helpful. I mentioned this before. This is something I kind of repeat. You want to know, and when you're studying a passage of Scripture, you want to know what is emphasized. One of the ways to tell something is emphasized is rep, it's emphasized by repetition. It's repeated. They, they, they say it again. <laughs> it's repeated more than once. Uh, so when, you always want to watch for that. When you're studying the Bible, what is repeated here? And that's so very, very, very common that you just always really want to kind of be on top of that. What is it that's repeated over and over again? Let's give Chuck a hand for his just faithful service tonight. Yes. Son of my soul. All right, so we're going through the book of Malachi, and I want you to notice three of these things are emphasized by repetition. The other one is emphasized by its position in the book. It's at the center of the book, which is kind of an interesting, common Hebrew poetic structure to put the big thing in the middle of the book. But then, like always, it's also the last thing the book says. And the last thing this book says, this oracle from God, the last thing it says is so very significant because... After this book closes, what happens? 400 years of silence until the messenger of Jesus, John the Baptist, comes on the scene. So when the world goes dark and when the world goes silent, what were those last words? There's an, the fourth thing is emphasized by its placement in the book, in the center of the book, in that Hebrew chiastic structure, and at the end of the book as the final word. So three things you're going to see. I'll show you this tonight. Three things you'll see. And we're going to get our nose down in the Bible tonight. Really kind of, this is an awesome, awesome book. But three things are emphasized by repetition. One of the things of the four things that are emphasized strongly in this book is emphasized by its placement in the book. Let's look at the first one. The first emphasis is the message is from the Lord. I mean, we don't need anything more than the first few words. This is an oracle or a burden. This is an oracle from God. In other words, Malachi, here it is. You read it just like I gave it to you. In chapter 1, verse 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel through or by Malachi. 
Now, now here's what I want you to see here. Um, the message is from the Lord. There's a name for God that's used over and over here. And look, in, you will see, uh, verse 2, it says, is not Esau, Jacob's brother, says the Lord. Verse 4, thus says the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, last of verse 8, says the Lord of hosts. The last of verse 9, says the Lord of hosts. Almost at the end of verse 10, says the Lord of hosts. End of verse 11, says the Lord of hosts. You're getting the repetition here. It's God speaking, and He's using a term for Himself, Lord Sabaoth. Lord of hosts, commander of the angel armies of heaven. This is a very cool name of God. It's a manly name. It's a robust name. It's a powerful name. It's a name you want to hear if you have deadly enemies. The Lord, Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, says to you. And it go, it's, it's repeated in verse 13, chapter 1. End of the verse, says the Lord. End of verse 14, says the Lord of hosts. Chapter 2, end of verse, middle of verse 2, says the Lord of hosts. Over and over again in this little short book, here in verse uh, 7 of chapter 2, Lord of, the, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. The end of verse 8, again, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 16, chapter 2, the Lord God of Israel says, and a little bit later in the verse, says the Lord of hosts. And then you have in chapter 3, and the end of verse 1 says the Lord of hosts. And at the chapter 5, chapter 3, verse 5, at the end of that verse says the Lord of hosts. And chapter 3, verse 7 says the Lord of hosts. And again in verse 11. And again in verse 12. And again in verse 13. And again in verse 17. And again in chapter 4 and verse 1. And again in chapter 4 and verse 3. Would you say that's repeated a lot in a little over three, a little four chapters of the Bible, yes. So we know that this message is from the Lord, and God wants His people to understand this is from the Lord, and not just the Lord, but the Lord who is the commander of the army angels of heaven. And that's very significant, because these people have been threatened and beat down, and He wants them to know, I'm the commander of the army angels of heaven, and I'm talking, I'm saying, it's messages from me. There's an emphasis on that. And of course, I don't need to apply that, do I? I mean, you have a Bible open in your lap. We speak from an open Bible here. Why? Because the Lord has spoken. It's the Word of God. You can count on it. You can build your life on it. Second thing, God is worthy of honor and reverence. That's a huge emphasis in this book. You can see it very, very clearly. He is worthy of honor and reverence. Let me show you uh, some examples of this. In particular, His name is sacred. One of the ways to attach words, significance, honor to God is to talk about His name. We do not take His name in vain. Can I have a little exercise here? Can I have a little, uh, can I have a little soapbox? Okay. Can I just challenge you on this? It's not the Bible doesn't command this. This is just leans in the direction toward let's honor the name of God. The Bible does command that. But you ever notice those little placeholders we use for Jesus' name? And sometimes we put them into our conversation. My parents, they taught me better than that. You know, they said, just don't do that. They said, let's not even get close to that. We are the people who honor the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, God. We are people who honor His name. Now notice what, how often this is repeated here about the importance of honor. You, you understand my little soapbox was, don't use the name of the Lord in vain, obviously, because the Bible commands that you not blaspheme God or use his name in vain. That's serious business. What I'm saying is, I would just suggest, don't even get close to it. So if you're in the habit of that, can I just suggest to you that what you do is you just talk to the Lord and back up and use the King's English in more creative ways than to use like minstos or, or words. Just get it out of your conversation. Let's be such distinct people that we're not pseudo-pious or ugly or proud about it, but the kind of people that we're the kind of people that there's something about us. We honor the name of Jesus Christ and of God the Father. These names to us are holy, sacred names. Now, notice here, and all over this, as we just sweep through the book again, chapter 1 and verse 6, where is my honor? And again, where is my reverence? In the next phrase, you priests despise my name. Chapter 1 and verse 11. My name shall be great among Gentiles. And then again in chapter uh, verse 11. Uh, that offer a pure name for my name shall be great among the nations. God is jealous for the honor of his name all over the world. Among the Gentiles, among the nations, among his people, in the church, in your house, in your car. 
And then you have again in chapter 1 and verse 11 at the end, my name is to be feared among the nations. Chapter 2 and verse 1, give glory to my name. In chapter uh, 2 and verse 5, that, that he might fear me, or he feared me, and he was reverent before my name. You see that, again, a, a emphasis by significant repetition and i can go on and show you other places for an example chapter three and the end of verse five because they do not fear me and then in chapter three and verse 16 then those who feared the lord and then toward the end of that same verse those who fear the lord and who meditate on his name and then finally in chapter four and verse two but to you who fear my name you see it's repeated often it's another emphasis of this short book repeated many times what that is god is worthy of honor and reverence especially his name There's something else here, and I won't take the time to show it to you. You can study it yourself. The repetition of the importance of covenant is so clear here. Covenant promises of God. This is a big deal in Scripture. God loves to make and keep promises, and He loves people, and He expects people to keep their promises, their covenants. The big word for promise in the Bible, covenants, it's a significant thing. And that's there too. It's attached to the name because people often make covenants in God's name. To break then covenant is to violate God's name or to dishonor God or to act in a dishonoring name. And I think you remember as we were talking about swearing and filthy language and scatological terms and bathroom humor and all of that stuff, really kind of goes, it has its roots in dishonoring God's name and trying to swear on something that's vile or filthy. God's people, they live consciously under the name of God. Their promises and their, the things they do and the things they say, they recognize that God is a witness over them. But ungodly, profane people, they take that and they pervert it and they swear by filthy things, the bathroom humor, the scatological humor, the sexual references. Those things should have no place in the mouths and minds and hearts of believing people. And when they do get that way, and this is the time in which we live, when they do get that way and they creep into the pew, and when, God forbid, they even get into the pulpit, then we know that we are losing our honor and our reverence for God. And God help us. This is what's going on here, and this is what's going on here. So we should say, oh God, purify us, refine and purify and cleanse us and cleanse our hearts, cleanse our lips, cleanse our homes, make this church a holy church filled with people who honor God's name and have reverence for God's name. And so that's another emphasis. God is worthy of honor and reverence. Does this make your heart sing? Think about that tonight. It's the way it's supposed to be. By the way, let me just mention this. This morning in my Sunday school class, I was talking about this. Can you imagine how weird it would be if we would honor anybody else's name like we honor the name of Jesus? Can you imagine how weird that would be? How wrong? It would just, we would just know it would be wrong. But we come to this building every week, and we never get tired of singing about Jesus Christ. We're never going to get tired of singing about Jesus Christ and praising our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father and the Spirit. We're never going to tire. Why? Because we're made. It's appropriate. We're made to do that. It's right. It's appropriate. It's what we were made for. But if we were to honor anybody else like that, it would make us sick. It would be so inappropriate, so wrong, so weird. But to honor Jesus' name, our hearts just sing when we, because it's the way we were, we were made. It's the fuel that we run on. It's awesome, isn't it? Third thing, an emphasis is if you honor God, you will offer worship. That is acceptable. This is a theme in all of the Bible. There is worship that God accepts, and there is worship that God does not accept. You want God to accept your worship. This is a big theme in the Bible. Now, let me show it to you in Malachi. And it, just some examples, and there are others, but I'll show you some in chapter 1 and verse 9. It says, Will he accept you favorably? Chapter uh, 1 and verse 10, nor will I accept an offering from your hands. And then chapter 1 and verse 13, should I accept this from your hand? And chapter 2 and verse 11, this is a holy institution which he loves, um, which he hates, which he loves. This is another example. And of course, when you get into the New Testament, you have Old Testament language that's always taken into the New Testament. The New Testament obviously is rife, it's full, it's rich with Old Testament imagery, Old Testament language. That's why it was good that you got in on a fly over the entire Old Testament because now you're going to see that stuff just pop up in the New Testament over and over and over again. And when you get to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, what's it say? Present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable unto God. 
Remember back in Genesis when they were like, did you give God an acceptable offering? Or God cannot accept your offering. There are people who say, hey, I'm worshiping. God's just going to have to take what I give him. And how it works. God doesn't have to take what you give him. God takes what he wants you to give him. And if you give him something that's wrong, he doesn't accept it. You don't want to give God an unacceptable sacrifice. Something to think about. This is very convicting stuff. And so you have that emphasis. And there's a final and wonderful emphasis. One day, God will have worldwide universal honor. It's going to happen. Oh, this is so sweet. Look at verse 11 in chapter 1. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, the name, my name, shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name. A pure offering, my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Today they curse his name. They blaspheme his name. They misunderstand his name. They pervert, they twist his name. One day, oh, everybody will bow the knee at the name of Jesus. Think about it. One day, God will have worldwide honor. One day, God will have worldwide honor. Think about that. We'll talk about the implication of that here in, in a little bit. Now, I've got to keep moving. So I only have like uh, six more points or something. Six little short points? Yeah. What happens, <laughs> what happens when we have reverence for God? What we want to do now is we want to go through the book, and I want to show you the, the six, there's six or seven depending on how you interpret them. But let's just say six different places in the Bible where these questions come up. And what are the questions saying? And what are the answers? There's six of them. And uh, so let's look at them in, in Malachi. This will just help us to track right through the book of Malachi. And notice what happens when we have reverence for God. Now, before we do this, let me remind you that these six things are not things that God says, I want you to do this, then 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 I want you to do this, and, and you're like, you know, running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to please God. It's not what the book is saying. These are six things that are evidence that people don't do the one thing he's asking them to do. The one thing that he's expecting of them is that they would show, that God's people would show reverence and honor for his name. And have a high esteem for God and speak with high esteem for God and do works appropriate to that. When that happens, these things will, this, these will be the flowers of that, that will, that, the fruit of that in, in your life. So these six things are going to happen. They're going to, they're going to happen, I would say, naturally, supernaturally by the work of God in your life when you do the one thing and that is you reverence God and you have uh, esteem for God. First, you'll acknowledge his favor. Chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord, yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountain and his heritage and the jackals of the wilderness? Even though Edom, this is the place of Esau, has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and rebuild the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called a territory of wickedness, a people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. What's he saying? He's saying, you say, I don't love you, but I have chosen you and favored you. Interesting. Don't say God hasn't loved you. Don't ever get to the point. Irreverent people, they reach this point where they say, God, what have you done for me lately? You haven't shown me your favor. You haven't been good to me. You haven't loved me. You haven't been kind to me. And they get that complaining spirit. And this is what Israel's doing. Not good. He's saying, I love you. I've chosen you. I've given you my favor. People who reverence God, they feel that. They sense that. Let's, let's look at the other one. You'll give God your best worship. Now he goes after the priests because the priests are involved in this kind of giving God lame lambs. You know, I call this like beets for missionaries, you know. You don't like beets, canned beets, you give them to the missionaries, right? You, you got to give an offering, you bring the lame lamb. You, know, you don't give your best in, in worship. Chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 9. We got time. Let's just read it. Chapter 1, verse 6. A son honors his father. And a servant, his master, if then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? 
to you priests who despise my name, yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably? Thus says the Lord of hosts, says the Lord of hosts. But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. God says to these priests, I saw your hands give these lame, blind lambs and lame sacrifices. Who is there among, even among you who would shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain? I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. He says, do we have a priest that will lock the doors of the temple? I don't want any more of that. Nor will I accept an offering from your hands. But from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, a pure offering. And my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it, and you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit and its food is contemptible. And you also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it. You're bored when you come to worship. And you bring the stolen and the lame and the sick. And thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow but sacrifice to the Lord that which is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. This book is a piece of work, is it not? God says, I am God. You honor me as God. Don't bring me your lame sacrifice. Get a picture of an old man, an older man. I say this with respect. An older man. Saturday night. He, Saturday afternoon, he takes his car and he has it washed. He washes it very carefully. He saves his money. He washes it by hand. He details it out very carefully. He vacuums out his car. It's Saturday night. He's done this for years. He's going to worship God tomorrow. He gets out his old Schofield Bible and he, his wife writes a check and they put it in the tithe envelope and he puts it in his Schofield Bible. He sits down, he looks over his Sunday school lesson, and he studies God's Word. And then he's the first one up on Sunday morning, and he makes breakfast for his wife. And they sit down for a while, and they're looking forward to going to church. His shoes were shined up on Saturday night. His clothes were laid out. So he gets to church, and he gets there early because he loves God, and he's eager to worship. And he goes in and he sits down and he closes his eyes and he listens to the strains of organ music. He's listened to that for years. He loves those songs. And the tears just flow down his face. He worshiped God. He worshiped God. God accepted his worship. But there's another one, another boy. It's a young guy, a college, college student. He, uh, he doesn't have much money. Not much money at all. As a matter of fact, um, what he's done, he wanted to go to church, but because he doesn't have much gas money, he, he skips going to Starbucks all week long. And instead he walks over to the library and he studies at the library because he's got to watch his dollars because if he doesn't, he's not going to have enough gas to get to church. But when Sunday comes and the sun comes up and he's... Oh, happy when he wakes up and he rises. Hey, this is Sunday. He's invited a friend to church who doesn't know the Lord a guy that he met at work, and he's excited. Maybe his friend's going to keep his promise, and he's going to meet him at church. So he gets up, and he thinks about what is he going to wear. He thinks about his friend. His friend doesn't have a tie. He doesn't have a jacket. He doesn't have fancy church clothes. He puts on his favorite old jeans and a Red Wings sweatshirt. He gets his Bible, and he goes out, and he gets in his car, and he turns his praise music up loud as he can. He's just smiling, and he's on his way to church. He stops to get some gas. There's an old lady that's over across the way, and she looks over him and smiles at him. He turns his music down for a minute. As soon as she drives away, he turns it back up, and he drives to church. His friend's not there. So he stands out in the parking lot, and he texts his friend. and says, friend, text him back. I'm going to be there. He waits for him. They're late. They go, and they get some coffee. He makes sure his friend has some creamer for his coffee. There's music coming out of the auditorium. Beautiful, loud music coming out of the auditorium. He's eager to get in there. His friend, they go in there, and they join in the singing. And he just sings his heart out. After a while, tears run down his face. He lifts his hand in praise. And then after church, he says to his friend, Hey, let's go to Chipotle, and I'll buy you a burrito. We'll talk about the sermon. 
the end of the sermon, he takes his iPhone and he, 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 he tweets the big idea of the sermon to his friends and he makes, it his, he makes it his background on his phone for the week so that he can remember what the pastor said. They sit and they eat, they talk about the sermon. He drops, his, he, 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 he drives away from his friend. He goes back to his college. He worshiped God with all of his heart. Did he not? Did he not? He worshiped God. His worship was acceptable to God. Pleasing God. You'll give God your best worship if you love Him and you honor Him. You'll take your family promises seriously. We won't go into a lot of detail here. Preached through this book before. But you have here in Malachi and, and chapter uh, 2 and verses 10 uh, through 16. Um, let me go back. I want to read to you um, chapter 1. Uh, let's see. Chapter, yeah, chapter 2 and, and verse 1, which I didn't read. I want to continue to read there. Now, O priest, this commandment is for you. If you will not hear and if you will not take it to heart, give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts. I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your descendants, spread refuse on your faces, refuse your solemn feast, and one will take you away with it. And then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was on his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge, and people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have departed from the way, and you've caused many to stumble at the law. Corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people, because you have not kept my ways, but have shown partiality. I did some backtracking there so I could read that whole passage to you. This now is not just the common person, but the priest. And he has not given uh, God his best worship. Then you have uh, the next section is from chapter 2, then, and verse 10 uh, through verse 16. Keeping our family promises, taking our family promises seriously is evidence of reverence for God. Let's read it. Chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do you deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of the fathers. Judah has dealt treacherously, and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, yet who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. What is it that he's talking about? We're going to see this very specifically in verse 13. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears by weeping and crying. So he does not regard the offering anymore nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? God, why won't you take my offering? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says he hates divorce and covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Here's one thing I've noticed as a pastor, 30-some years. When people get close to God, they take their vows and their promises and their family promises very seriously. This doesn't mean that God's people aren't touched by failure and difficulty and error and all of our families have been touched by divorce. It means that when you know God, you do your very best to bring your life in alignment with what the Scriptures say. You have reverence for God. You do your very best to bring your life into alignment with what the Scriptures say. And you have the same heart that he has for a godly seed that's your lifelong desire children and grandchildren that will live for god and walk with god and i want to encourage you all tonight as we look at this we see the pure and perfect heart of god that he has for us he's going to help us with this don't be despairing 
Don't be discouraged. He's going to help us with this. He loves to help us get started again after we fail. He loves to help us. He loves to bring a prodigal home after many years of being gone. These stories are all over the Bible. Please don't be discouraged. But you've got to be faithful and trust God and ask Him to help you. If you revere God and you fear God and you honor God, then your heart's always going to be tugged toward home and toward the promises that you have made. You'll take your family promises seriously. The fourth one, you'll share his values. This is chapter 2, verse 17, to chapter 3, and verse 6. And look, notice that chapter 2, verse 17, we won't read all of it. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have I wearied the Lord? And that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in him, or where is the God of justice? Get this? This happens in our culture a ton. People are against what God's for and for what God's against. And that's simple. And it, you just, just turn a TV on and you'll see it. Read a paper, watch the internet, you'll see it. People that value things that God hates and hate things that God values. And then there's a long, re- well, matter of fact, we're going to read it because this is a rich, beautiful, kind of a lyrical passage. He's, he says in chapter 3 and verse 1, he's going to talk about John the Baptist. This is the first hint now. He's going to talk about John the Baptist, then he's going to talk about Jesus. And it's going to actually point, it's going to be a foreshadowing of Jesus coming in his first and second advent so it's a gorgeous prophecy here hear it now it's going to be about john the baptist and about jesus behold i send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me that's john the baptist right and the lord whom you seek the one you say you're looking for yeah he's coming he will come suddenly to his temple get it you say you're seeking god well, he's coming. And when he comes, he'll come suddenly. And he will come to his temple. Get it? These people have profaned God and offered lame sacrifices. And they say they're seeking God. He goes, yeah, well, yeah, he's coming. He's coming. And he's coming to the temple. Where well, you're doing these shenanigans, right? That's what he's saying. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. See the sarcasm there? Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap, and will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi. He's going right after the priest when he gets here to clean them up. So this is like a promise threat. That's what it is. You say, you want me to come? I'm coming. That's right. what's happening. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. Can you hear Handel's Messiah going on this? I can hear that. You hear this? And then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord. In the days of old and former years, and I will come near you for judgment and be swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away and alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord. For I am the Lord and I do not change. That's why I haven't consumed you, Jacob. That's what he says. The only reason you're not toast is because I'm the Lord and I made covenant promise to you and I don't change, but I'm going to send the messenger of my covenant. And when he shows up, who can abide the day of his appearing. Seriously. Hey, listen, if you are here, and can I just say this, you know, if you're young or old and you don't have the proper reverence for God, correct that before you meet him. Correct that before you meet him. Correct it immediately. So much goes right in your life if you honor and you have reverence for God and the things of God. And we could go into a lot. I suppose that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, will help you understand how that would apply to you. So there you have it. You share his values. Fifth, you'll experience his faithfulness through giving. And then there's a whole passage that's beautiful. um, Will a man rob God? Um, Let's go back to verse 7. This is chapter 3, verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you've gone away from my ordinances and not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? You've robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you're cursed with a curse. For you've robbed me, even the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. This is a really interesting passage. You notice both of my little make-believe stories about the elderly man and the young man included them giving. Because it's one of the ways to show reverence for God 
You say, have that time when you write that check or you make that gift or you give to someone and then you breathe in your, you, a, little, a little prayer or your heart says, Jesus, I love you. I'm grateful to you. This is a gift because you've been so good to me. That's worship. That's the, heart. That's the way the heart should go up to God. And you, you notice that when you're far from God, that's when that, that, whole, that whole generosity thing starts going down. Am I right? Am I right? You know, it's just been the way. But then when God touches our hearts and our hearts are warm, that generosity thing goes, we look for ways to give and people to give to. We want to give to God and to his work. And if we don't, it's like robbing God. It's pretty serious. But this isn't all negative. This is a gorgeous start. Look what, he's like, try me in this. Test me in this. He says in verse, um, verse 10, Bring the tithes in the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you such a blessing that you will not have room to receive it, and I'll rebuke the devourer. That's good. For your sakes. I rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground or shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field or your water pump will last longer. That was like a modernization of the text, right? Yeah. Says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Try me in this thing. That's a pretty part of the Bible there. And then finally, you'll be filled with thanksgiving and praise. There's a little part here. Don't read all that ahead. You won't be listening to me. But there's a little part here. You'll be filled with thanksgiving and praise. Here's the part that, from verse 13, chapter 3 and verse 13, what happens here is the people are complaining against God. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You said it's useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up, and they even tempt God and go free. What's that? That's the old envying the wicked thing that we all are tempted to do. Am I right? I was talking about that this morning. We envy the wicked. We look at them, God, look at that. What's going on? It does not pay to serve God. And God says, you said it doesn't pay to serve God. And that's what he says there in verse 16 then. But those, then those who feared the Lord, they spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate on his name. It does pay, he's saying it does pay to serve God. God does notice people who serve Him and who love Him. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day when I make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man who spares his own son and serves him. That's awesome, isn't it? It does pay. Then you will again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who doesn't serve Him. It pays to serve God. And chapter 4 is really beautiful, just lovely. It's going to the climax here. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that I will leave them neither root or branch. But those who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, will rise with healing in his wings. See that contrast? Like the wicked? No, there's going to be a time when the wicked burn up. But the righteous rise like the sun with healing in its wings. And the end, you see. And so, and then, and so it says, um, and you'll go out and grow fat like a stall-fed calf, and you'll trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. There's three things that I want you to see here that you see there on the, on the slide. He wants us to anticipate the day of the Lord kind of the culmination of all things. He wants us to remember and look to the end. That's what godly people do. They say, okay, this is not all there is to it. I anticipate the day of the Lord. He's coming. He's coming suddenly. He's coming to judge. He's coming to reward. He's coming. That's real. That we anticipate that. That's what he wants us to think. This stimulates worship and reverence for God. The other thing, he wants us to remember the law of the Lord. Look in chapter 4, verse 3. Um, um, verse 4, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and the judgments. Remember the word of the Lord. So what do we do? In order to stimulate reverence and worship, we remember, we anticipate the day of the Lord. And you see that back in chapter 3 too. The Lord will suddenly come to His temple. And we anticipate the day of the Lord. We remember the law of the Lord, which we do when we give reverence to God by reading in the Bible and by applying the Bible and by obeying the Bible by the power of the Holy Spirit, by teaching the Bible to one another. And we watch for the messenger of the Lord. There it is again. 
Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come strike the earth with a curse. That's it. End of the Old Testament. What is he saying at the end of the Old Testament? Watch for John the Baptist. That's what he's saying. Next thing on the docket, John the Baptist. Next person, John the Baptist. Watch for him. He's coming. Brought my Starbucks cup tonight. Were you wondering what that was about? It was not to keep me awake while I'm preaching. I have no problem with that. Others may, but not me. Somebody said to me today something interesting. I... Years ago, I, about 1995, 96, I left uh, Ohio, came to the great state of Michigan, the Mitten State, this beautiful state, surrounded by lakes, cherry blossoms. It's an awesome place, huh? Nice people. Um, came, to Mich- <laughs> came to Michigan, and uh, that was a happy day, moving on to the state of peninsulas, you know. And um, a friend of mine says, I'm going to miss you. <laughs> I said, I'm going to miss you too. He goes, no, I really am going to miss you. And I'm like, he's a guy who, who owned a business. And the business was called Pizza Doc. <laughs> pizza Doc was good. I was good. They delivered. <laughs> they would deliver this pizza that was like, you know, just like a, like a sheet cake thing. Remember this, Louis? I mean, it was big. Not good, but not good for you. But big and tasted very wonderful. And it would seem like on Sunday night, after a really hard day, and what we would do is we didn't want to cook, we didn't want to... And so we got in this bad habit of going home and just calling the guy at Pizza Doc, and a few minutes later he would have one of those big pizzas and maybe a couple of subs. (laughs) He would deliver those, and they were so good. Oh, my word, they were so good. I ate more than I should have. I ate more often than I should have. A lot more often than I should have. And when this guy, he says, like, I'm going to miss you, I'm like, I would love to know how much money I spent at Pizza Doc last year. And he said, I can tell you. I got it on my computer. <laughs> I said, seriously, how much did I spend? I'm not going to tell you this because there are some secrets that I have, and this is going to be one of them. I'll just say it like this. In that year, if I had taken the money that I spent at Pizza Doc, and if I had invested in Starbucks stock, I could be a volunteer pastor tonight, and you could hire another staff member with what you pay me. Is that amazing? If I had only known. And on Sunday night, I said, we fast on Sunday night, kids, because we know of a company that's going to go viral, and it's going to be worth a lot of money. And we're going to put that money in Starbucks stock. We're going to gamble in the stock market. That's what we're going to do. And instead of like taking that stuff and it's going to go straight to our arteries, we're going to buy Starbucks stock. I would be a wealthy guy right now if I took the money I gave the pizza dot guy and bought Starbucks stock with it. Makes me want to cry. Now, I don't know about what the next company is that's going to go big like that. Wouldn't you love to know that? But I do know this. I've read this book, and I know who wins in the end. I know, I know what's going to be valuable and worthy in the end of this book. Jesus is worthy. And all of the angels and all of heaven and hell and all of the earth is going to be saying, you are worthy, you have value, I honor you. So why don't we start? You guys remember Pastor Graves? Were you here yesterday and you heard Pastor Graves' message? Did you walk away with the big idea? Some of you put it on your Facebook. What was the big idea of Pastor Grace's message? Don't spend your life. You got it. Invest your life. That's what he said. Don't, and he used Bud Hall as an example of a guy who didn't waste his life or spend his life, but, but he invested his life. I got in on a very sacred thing today. I was privileged, and I will never forget it. Pastors' families... A lot of them stay around afterward. And I was watching the Hall family, um, and I was thinking about them. You know, they, they say goodbye to Dad. Each one of them had a last word with Dad, whatever that was. I'm sure they, their mind went right back. What was the last thing I got to say to Dad? What was the last thing he said to me? And then there was that terrible night, that morning that they heard that he had died. And then there was the funeral at their church. And then there was the funeral at their other church here. And then there was a 
committal service, and then there was a graveside committal service. And when I was watching that, I was thinking, that's so like pastors' families. You know, you, you talk after church to somebody in the pew, and you have some fellowship, you know. And then you move down to the end of the pew. Okay, you say, talk to you later, and then you move down to the end of the pew, and then you, you talk some more. And then you move out in the aisle, maybe back the aisle, and you, you talk some more. And you go out in, in the foyer, and you, you say goodbye again. And then you go down toward the doors, and you say goodbye again. And then you go out in the parking lot, and you say goodbye again. And then finally they drive away. As I was watching Sandy and, and those kids today, I sensed this um, sense of, oh, this is it now. This is like the closure thing. And they actually honored their dad by following his casket and, and the, the vault out there to the hole in the ground and putting it down and dropping, dropping roses on top of his um, vault. Just trying to say the last chance that you can, Dad, I love you, I honor you, appreciate you. I'm going to miss you. And I get to, got to see that. It was a sacred moment. Sure made me think. I want to invest stuff that's going to matter like forever. As I was watching them play their music and Sandy get up with such grace and stay, say what she said, it reminded me a little bit of a time a few years ago when I was asked to pastor, like an interim pastor, a little uh, church in Illinois. People were very kind. We only saw them one day a week, so all everything was that day. I'd go down and preach, and then we'd hang out, we'd talk for a while. I'd go back maybe for a men's meeting and stuff if somebody really needed me. But mostly it was just an interim pastor where I'd see them on Sunday. And the people were very sweet, and like you. They, they were very open. They were very sweet. They were very eager to hear the word, and they let me preach long messages, didn't complain. <laughs> I liked people like that, you know. And, uh, and then um, at the end, you remember how this was? It was just a little window that we had, and at the end, it, uh, it was a smaller building, and I would say to Lois, I'd come here and stand with me. She would come over, and she would stand with me. And then the people would come up, and they would sort of almost line up, you know, because this is our ch- one chance to kind of talk. And, I, and I, would, I would watch, on a good Sunday, what would happen is the kids would sort of fan out, and then in the, and, and they would talk to kids, the guys with the guys, the girls with the girls, sometimes girls with the guys, and guys with the girls. They would just, the whole family would be kind of spread out, you know, and, and they would be talking. And then we would get in the car, and we would be driving home, and we would talk about those conversations, and we realized what was happening. What really thrilled my heart was what was really happening in those conversations was, in a little simple way, every one of us was a part of the ministry team. Every one of us was helping, exhorting, encouraging, listening, it's like I would preach, and people then would, would look over at that pew at my, my family, like kind of look at them, and then they would talk to them. And, and I saw the hall kids lined up today, and I said, you know, Bud got that done by God's grace. <laughs> his kids, his wife are going to go on. They're going to serve the Lord. I am too. And I am too. Are you? Forever? As long as you can? No matter who else goes with you? Amen. Me too.